Hey there, how's it going? Uh, my name is Josh, I'm one of the pastors here at ABF. We know that there are a number of different people that tune in, both near and far. We know that uh, there are some of you that are just traveling, miss the weekend services, and so therefore you're tuning in online. We also know that there's others of you that are around the country and even around the world that are tuning in uh, just to get some good Bible teaching, just diving into God's word. And we would just say, man, our heart is that everybody would be connected to a local Bible body of believers that meets together in real life. Um, don't get me wrong. It's great that you're coming here and getting into God's word. And I think that's amazing. But man, our hope is that you would be a part of a local church. And so uh, we're very happy to su supply this. But man, that's our heart for anybody and everybody watching. We just wanted to put that out there as we get started. A couple of things. Uh, if there's anything we can pray for you about this week, we would love to do that. You can text any prayer request to 97,000 and we will pray for you this week. If you're interested in any of the things that are going on locally here at this body of believers in Agora Hills, California, go ahead and check out the website, agorabible.org, or get the app. We have a church center app and find Agora Bible Fellowship. All the information of things that are going on, you can check out there. Finally, thank you so much uh, for prayerfully considering uh, financially supporting all the ministries that are happening here. Literally, we couldn't do what we do. We couldn't have our doors open. We couldn't put on these uh, videos and uh, be sharing God's word via online messages like this without people like you that give. So thank you so much for um, prayerfully considering that. We appreciate your partnership in that. That being said, why don't we just get into God's word together. Let's go. Well, thanks, Josh, for uh, some great announcements there, and uh, welcome uh, to another online service here at ABF. We are so thankful that you clicked on this message. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at ABF, and I'm excited to continue in our summer series, 10 Questions That Jesus Asked, Part 6. And I said it a couple weeks ago, uh, but Jesus asked a lot of questions, but we just chose 10 uh, in Scripture to kind of go over. Last time I spoke, uh, I asked the question, or I spoke on the question that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And we spent some time at Peter's answer uh, when he said that you are the Christ, and then later was told to get behind him, Satan. Uh, and Peter, we saw, has some amazing moments and some not so great moments. Uh, and I so relate to that. I so relate to that. Uh, today we are diving into another question that Jesus asked Peter. I like Peter's stories because I feel like Jesus asks me a lot of questions. I don't know about you, but I feel like Jesus asks me a lot of questions. And those questions that I feel that Jesus asks are kind of like this. They go like this. Chris, why don't you trust me? Chris, after all I have done, you still no trust. Chris, do you not see what I've done in your life? Chris, do you not know what I'm capable of? Do you not remember where you were not that long ago? Today's question is, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And we find that in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. It comes right after Peter has this amazing moment with Jesus, and he's walking on the water. He's walking on water with Jesus, 
And Jesus asks this question, why did you doubt after Jesus saves him from drowning? And we're going to get to that in a second. This is a very well-known story for most of us. We we grew up hearing this story, listening to it, uh, Sunday Bible, uh, you know, class, and and seeing the pictures of of Peter and Jesus. And we hear this, and here's our challenge today, because I think I fall into this category. I think so many times, myself included again, we read these stories that are so well known and we feel that we've heard it all and there's nothing to get from it, that we understand it fully and there's nothing uh, new from it that we can get. And my hope is that while we read verse by verse, we see that God's word never gets old and there's always something there for someone. So before we dive into Matthew 14, let me pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for another chance to open up your word, uh, to dig deep, Lord. And we are so thankful for your word, Lord, that it never gets old, that it never gets tiring, Lord. And you're always speaking through us, constantly through it, Lord. We thank you, Lord, so much for your faithfulness. Lord, right now we just open, we pray that you just open our eyes and our ears, Lord, and we can uh, get exactly what you want us to get out of this passage, Lord. We thank you so much for your love. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, a little thing about me uh, that you might not know is that I enjoy surfing. No, I do not have the surfer's hair, but man, I love surfing. I used to do it a lot more, a lot more before kids, but now with kids, uh, man, you can just forget about it because it takes, you know, time to load up the car and get, drive down there and get your wetsuit on and, and all that stuff. But I used to surf a lot. Even Josh and I, we still have a yearly tradition that dates back to 2008. And, and our wives are so gracious that they allow us to continue to do this where uh, we have this yearly tradition because our birthdays are two weeks apart in March that uh, we have uh, Josh and Chris day. And basically we go surfing in the morning. Usually it's down in Manhattan Beach. And then we go snowboarding at night. It's incredible. It's an amazing day. We look forward to it every single year. But I remember the best ride I had ever had on a wave. The best time I've ever been surfing. Uh, This was not on Josh and Chris day, but this was a day where Josh was there and uh, we were with a group of friends and we were down in Huntington uh, Huntington Beach, uh, right next to the pier. And this is one of those days where the waves, the conditions are just like perfect. Uh, the wind wasn't strong. Uh, the waves were kind of good size, but they were like the nice slow swells that you could see coming. And, and they were just, uh, they, they were called, you know, they're crumbling where it just looks like snow is just falling off the waves. And we get out there uh, kind of far and I'm a little shaky because I'm not a big wave guy. And, and I had like uh, an accident hitting my head on the rock, but that's a whole nother thing. But I got out there and this, again, this is just like amazing conditions. I feel the wave pulling me up and if you know if you've ever been surfing you know this feeling uh i get up i drop down like it is the smoothest stand up pop up ever and i cruise down this wave and it is so smooth i'm not even kidding like i ride this for like 50 yards easily 50 yards because we're pretty far out and i am just like it's like effortless like i'm just standing there it literally feels like i'm just gliding on water walking on water and I'm just, I see the shore. I just see the shore. I'm like, I can get to the shore. Like, I'm not even having to do much. I'm focusing. I have a narrow focus. And I'm just enjoying this ride, just this moment in creation. 
Then all of a sudden, as I get closer to the shore, I see these kids that have like bodyboards. I'm like, oh my gosh, are they gonna get on my way? I see a parent chasing like a toddler out. Like I remember this clear as day. Uh, the parent was starting to chase the toddler around. And then all of a sudden I saw seagulls and, like, and then these distractions came. And then all of a sudden I was very aware of what was going on. And I was looking back like, and sure enough, the board got shaky and I lost my balance and I wiped out. It was so easy for just a couple of these small distractions to take me out of this amazing moment in creation. Amazing moment in creation. I remember this day so clearly. And today we're going to look at Peter, who actually did walk on water. Okay, you can knock him all you, all you want because of his flaws and things like that. But man, he actually did walk on water without a board. He walks on water, the only human that ever has. And Peter gets distracted by the waves and the wind. And these distractions caused him to not focus on Jesus anymore and to start to sink and ruin this amazing moment in creation with the creator, with the creator. So, Matthew 14, that's where we're picking up the story. Matthew 14, a little context happened right before the section that we're diving in. Uh, they're coming out of the, the, the story of Jesus feeding uh, the 5,000. Uh, 5,000 men is what it says, but during that time, women and children were not uh, counted. Sorry, women and children, but they were not counted. So we're actually looking at probably uh, Jesus feeding about 10 to 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish, a crazy, crazy a miracle that had happened. And Jesus in this moment demonstrates that he has power over the simple but important things in life, food. But he also, but he also demonstrates that he has compassion, a trait that is evident throughout his life. If you remember the story, the disciples are like, yeah, they're hungry, we should probably let them go. And Jesus says, no. I have compassion. I'm going to feed them. What do we get? So that is what just happened. And this is where we're picking up our story. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Hopefully you are there. Read with me. Here we go. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So he fed the crowds. And now he says, hey, let's go. We're dismissing the crowds. Verse 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. I want you to circle, underline, highlight, by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long away, long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. All right, first point here importance of prayer. I said earlier, sometimes these well-known stories, uh, we just hear Peter walked on water, there's distractions, yeah, 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 I get it. But man, look, when you really dig deep into scripture, man, there's just so many different layers that we see. And here, what I noticed this week was, was the importance of prayer. Jesus understood the need for quiet and solitude time, regular prayer time. Before we even get to Peter walking on the water, we see that this was important. He understood the need for quiet and solitude time. Jesus prayed often. Prayed often. It was part of his daily routine. 
Uh, in the Gospels, it's recorded that Jesus prayed numerous times uh, at his baptism, uh, before the rise, uh, rise, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, at his transfiguration. He prayed three uh, prayers uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest. He prayed three prayers on the cross all through his life. So we only read actually what was recorded, but I guarantee that he had a very healthy daily prayer life. He withdrew, Jesus withdrew many times from the crowd, the noise, the Pharisees, those he taught and healed. Jesus showed the importance to dismiss himself for quiet time in order to pray. Jesus also showed the importance for specific time with his disciples. So he knew that he had to, one, get away from the crowds in order to pray to his father, to pray, to be by himself. But he also knew that he couldn't just be around the crowds all the time and not spend quality time with his disciples. So my question is, if God himself, Jesus, God himself knew the importance and took time to be alone and prayed with his busy schedule, how much more do we need to be alone and pray? Daily time of Jesus strengthens us, gives us wisdom, gives us clarity, energy, and more importantly, it draws us closer to him. Sometimes we are so mentally drained, emotionally drained, physically drained in this rat race of life that we just feel depleted. And some of you just need to Find and add 15 minutes a day for some time with God. All of us do. 15 minutes a day. I've used this analogy before, uh, especially with, with high school students, uh, and every single pastor that's ever spoken, uh, given a sermon, has used this analogy. But I'm going to use this analogy because it's so important for us to be reminded of this. Uh, but you and I, we are like these iPhones. We really are. Not because we like apples, but because we uh, are so, like we're on all day. We're being used every single moment from the moment that we wake up to we go to bed. And it's so many times we're not even fully charged, so we're actually running on half, half power. But what happens at the end of the day? We end up dying. We end up losing all power. We have to have a moment where we're plugged into our power source. For the phone, it's obviously a charger, but for us, it's, it's time with God. It's time for God. Here's a tip that I've learned over the years being a, a father and a husband who works a lot and feels just that rat race in life being pulled in a, many, uh, uh, you know, a million directions um, is that when I get home after a long day, especially a stressful one, I sit in my driveway for five to 10 minutes. Not because I don't want to go inside. It's because I do not want my wife and my kids to have my leftovers. I feel like all day I'm just giving, 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 pouring, pouring, pouring. My kids and my wife do not deserve my leftovers. And here's the thing. Sometimes we think we can mask it and that they don't sense that, but they feel it. So what I do is I sit in my driveway and I just, I have time with the Lord. I pray that I can focus on tomorrow, the things of tomorrow, tomorrow. I pray that I have a, a, a new energy, that, that I have clarity, that I'm able to have this fun, uh, you know, this uh, ability to go in and just be Mr. Fun, to, be, to play with my kids because they need that. So 
that's a, a, a thing that I do. Sometimes Christina's like, are you okay? Like she'll text me, but it's just because I want to have that moment of solitude so that I can have the best next three, four, five hours with my family that I can. So Jesus modeled a healthy prayer and solitude time. Jesus modeled a healthy prayer and solitude time. See, even with this story that we've heard many times, we see this, that Jesus modeled a healthy prayer and solitude time. We're not even into the walking on water yet. God's word is so good. Verse 25 And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, Jesus, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. All right, so first thing we kind of want to, we see here is that it's the fourth watch, and I just kind of want to tell you a little bit what that is uh, in my study. Uh, Fourth watch is, uh, uh, during this time, uh, the Roman time ruled the Jewish people, uh, and the nighttime from evening to sunrise, uh, there were four watches through the night, uh, the first one being 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., second watch being 9 p.m. to midnight, Third watch, midnight to 3 a.m. And then the fourth watch would be 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So this is the middle of the night. So if you see when he dismissed them to go prayer, to go pray, that was in the evening. So they have been out for at least nine hours in this storm. Nine hours in this storm without Jesus. They're here at the Sea of Galilee. I have a couple of picks up. You can see a modern day pick and, and a pick of, of kind of just logis- or, uh, where it's at on the map. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, we kind of think it's just like a tiny small lake, but uh, it's actually a quite a, of a big lake. Uh, it is 13 miles long, 13 miles long. It is eight miles wide and it is 690 feet below sea level. Mount Hermon is up north uh, a few miles away, and that is at 9,200 feet above elevation. So there's a 10,000-foot elevation between Mount Hermon and the Sea of Galilee. And uh, because of this, uh, and with all the mountains around Sea of Galilee, strong winds go through the narrow surroundings into the valley, causing sudden and violent storms. So you got the you got the cool air up north and or uh, up up high, and then you have the the warm air. And when they kind of converge, it causes sudden violent uh, windstorms and storms on the sea. So it's about 3 a.m., 4 a.m. They're in the middle of this giant lake. Uh, there is no light. It's just complete darkness. Uh, big waves. That uh, they say that waves uh, during these big storms can reach like six to ten feet. Right on this, like six to ten feet uh, foot waves crashing on this boat. Strong winds, water splashing in your eyes. They can barely see. These are violent, scary, scary um, conditions. Have you guys ever just kayaked or rowboat like upstream or like in some waves or in the ocean? Like, like sometimes just even little waves and a strong current can make you like go two, uh, three feet and two feet back, right? Three feet forward, two feet back. This is a chaotic scene. And they have been at it for hours, for hours to get to the other side because Jesus said, go to the other side. 
This is the worst conditions. They are exhausted. They're physically drained, emotionally drained. And these are seasoned fishermen. We forget that most of these, this is what they've been doing. They've been on this lake half their life, most of their life. They've seen and experienced some terrible, terrible conditions, some terrible storms before. And as they're rowing, as they are in hour nine, hour 10, can't see, barely see anything, water hitting them. All of a sudden they look out and they see a figure in the middle of the sea. And they're terrified. I'd be terrified as well to see all of a sudden someone walking on the water coming toward them. Big note question here. I think it's so important to kind of ask, man, why did Jesus wait so long? Why did Jesus wait so long? Why not just the first watch, the first 15 minutes or sooner? Why did he wait to the fourth watch when they're struggling in these storms to come out to them? Point number two here is that God's timing is never wrong. God's timing is never wrong. I think so many times we ask that question, right? God, when are you going to show up? God, when will you show up? The, the savings is being drained. Uh, I need a job. Uh, she's getting sicker. <sighs> Rent is due. Electricity is going to be turned off in a day. When are you going to show up? But don't forget, God is always around and he's always involved. He is omnipresent. He's omnipresent. He just loves to act near the end. God loves to come toward the end. And we see it all through scripture. We see it all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. I wrote down some examples here. In Exodus, right, we see Moses and the Israelites. They're running away from the Egyptian army and then they're butted up against the, the Red Sea and, and they're stuck. There's nowhere for them, to go, for them to go. And then they hear the chariots and they hear the army coming after them to, to get them, to take them back to Egypt, to, to slave, to, to put them back in slavery. And it wasn't until the very last second that God splits the Red Sea. We see Abraham and Isaac. Abraham takes his son Isaac and goes up to the mountain puts them on the altar, shops them down, straps them down, and takes the knife. And, and right before the knife gets to Isaac's chest to sacrifice him, God shows up. We see that Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. He doesn't know how the night's going to go. He just knows that well, I'm going to be tossed into the lion's den. But then God shows up through the night. We see that Jesus showed up three days after Lazarus died. So why? Why does God show up so late so many times? Well, I think that's a, another conversation, but I did take some notes here. I do have a couple answers that I've learned in my life why God shows up at the last minute. One, it builds and stretches our faith. It builds and stretches our faith. Because we have to have faith, knowing that God's going to show up. It teaches lessons. God teaches us lessons through our trials. He wants to see how we react. He wants to see, are we going to pursue him? Are we going to count and rely on him? Or are we going to try to figure it out on our own way? And other things, I think God is just, 
he's always, because he's omnipresent, he's doing work in other people's lives. He's allowing other people to see other people's trials and how he is showing up in those trials. Who here, if we're being honest, who loves the fact that God shows up at the end? Not I, not I. And I guarantee that the the disciples did not enjoy the hours on the rowboat or on the boat going through these conditions. They didn't enjoy that. They didn't enjoy being terrified. But Jesus isn't going to let the boat sink. He's not going to let the boat sink. He does show up. He just waits until he is ready. His timing is never wrong. Last note on this section is that, man, I love how Jesus shows up. I love that Jesus is walking on their biggest cause of fear. Their biggest cause of fear is, are the conditions of the sea. It's the, it's the sea. It's the, the water being uh, thrown onto them. It's the big waves. It's the wind. And he's just walking on it. He is steady and in control of what they are, uh, of what they see as unsteady and chaotic. Nothing phases him. So your problems are never too big for him. Even if he comes in at the last second, your problems, my problems are never too big for him. And I'm sure if you're a Christ follower, you've had, uh, you have a story of God showing up in the 11th hour. You have a story of not knowing when or how or if God is going to show up, but he does. And because of that, because your faith muscles have been stretched, you have a little more faith now. You have a little more trust in him. You've grown a little more in, his, in your relationship with him. And you remember those for future trials. Verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. I love Peter's boldness here. He understands who Jesus is. He says, if you are who you are, if you, if you are him, tell me to come out. He understands who Jesus is, his identity. If you remember, this isn't the first time that Peter has had a moment in an encounter with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. In Luke chapter five, this is when Peter first met Jesus. Peter's been fishing all night with his fellow fishermen and they caught nothing. And Jesus shows up on the scene and says, hey, take the boat out and drop the nets. And Peter's like, I am a pro. Like I do this for a living. Like, what are you going to do? And Jesus says, just trust me. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And what happens? The nets get filled up with more fish than they've ever seen. The nets start to break and the boats start to sink. It is crazy. And Peter falls on his knees and says, whatever you want, (laughs) whatever you want. So Peter knows and understands that Jesus is in control of this body of water, at least. He understands who he is. Peter states, if you command, he puts Jesus as authority, not just a teacher, but Lord. My third point here is that Jesus brings comfort in time of chaos. Jesus brings comfort in times of chaos. Peter goes from being terrified. It doesn't say that the disciples, except for Peter, was ter- it, it, all of them were terrified. He goes from being terrified to asking to go out in those conditions. The conditions haven't stopped yet. It's still wavy and windy and rainy. But he goes from being terrified to asking to go out in those conditions. 
See, Jesus has complete power over what the disciples were terrified of, the wind and the water. When we understand that nothing is over the command or control of Jesus, man, it changes us. It changes us how we view and how we feel. And there's just something about Jesus that brings us ultimate comfort. And that fear goes away. The fear goes away. Uh, I think this was in 2000, uh, I want to say 2003. And I was working with a high school group as as a leader. And uh, I think this was Josh's uh, senior year. I'm a couple years older than him. And we did a leadership retreat, student leadership retreat uh, up in, um, up in Michigan, in North Michigan. And we woke up all the students. Uh, It was a fear factor theme. Uh, We woke up all the students. Uh, There was about 30, 40 of these student leaders. And uh, the thing was, is that they had to go through this dark trail. I've shared this story before. So if you've heard it, just act like you've never heard of it. Uh, But we had the students go through this dark trail through this forest at 3 a.m. And us leaders, that's me, uh, we had to hide in the forest. And then we were wearing these masks. And when a student comes by, we like jump out and terrify them. Now, I understand that parents, you're reading this story like, oh my gosh, this is horrifying. I will admit that there are things that we did in youth ministry 20 years ago we probably shouldn't do now. But at this moment, this is a great story. So, I'm hiding in the bushes. I'm kind of near the middle. Um, and this uh, student of ours, uh, she's still a friend. She's great. Uh, her name is Amy. And she was terrified of this. Like, she did not want to go in the woods. She did not want to, like, like, go through it. She didn't want to do this at all. She doesn't like the dark. She doesn't like to be scared at all. And she's starting to walk through. And it's quiet, so I hear everything. And she, all of a sudden, had, like, this imaginary gun that looked like this, and she was firing off imaginary bullets. I call them Jesus bullets because as she was walking through this path, every time she felt scared, she would go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And she would shoot these Jesus bullets. And I was dying laughing. I was crying because it was so funny. But what I noticed was, is that every time she shot a Jesus bullet, she was able to take one step more into this dark trail. It was awesome. And it stuck with me ever since because she understood that Jesus has power over anything, everything. So her fears went away every time she shot this Jesus bullet. And I hope I never forget this story. When we focus on him, it is crazy how bold we become. Fear just disappears. And we see this with Peter. Verse 29, he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Faith is done by one step at a time. One step at a time. Peter takes one step out of the boat. One step and then another. So often, and if you're like me, we stay straddled on the boat. One foot out of the boat, one foot in the boats, one foot in, one foot out. We trust him. We take that first step of faith, but man, I gotta have my, I gotta have my ground set. I don't fully trust him. I don't fully believe that he's gonna show up. And we are waiting for God to show up and do the rest. But Peter took that second step out of the boat, and that was the biggest step. That was the key step because. 
if you have all your weight on one foot, you can still stay in the boat and you can have your water kind of like, have you ever just been on the edge of the pool and you just kind of like dip your toe in the water, right? That's that first step. Peter is kind of dipping his toe in the water, but that second step was the full commitment. The full commitment, it was the big step. And I must ask, how are your steps of faith right now? How are your steps of faith? Are both feet just in the boat? Like, nope, I'm gonna do it myself. That's all I know. Um, I don't trust the Lord right now. I'm gonna figure it out. In these windy conditions, in this storm, I'm gonna stay here. You have both feet in the boat where you're just in control and what happens, happens. Or do you have one foot out where you're kind of half in control? You, you have half faith where you're just kind of dipping your toe in the water and trying to see like how stable it is and then hoping that God will just kind of carry you through the rest. I don't think God works like that all the time. Or do you have both feet out where you plant in the water and then you take your second foot out of the boat and then boom, you're committed and you're not in control and you're just relying and trusting that the Lord is gonna show up. So often we ask the Lord to tell us, we're like Peter, command me to come out, command me to go out there, and we don't obey. We don't obey. Obedience was a huge part of Peter's faith here, a huge part. Peter could have backed out, but he didn't. Point number four, don't just act and hope for the best. We see here that Peter didn't just see Jesus and say, oh, that's Jesus. I think that's him. And just like swan dive out into these crazy conditions. We don't see that. He didn't just dive out of the boat. Do first and hope that God shows up. Peter asked if it was him to command him. And then Peter asked, Peter asked and then acted. We need to remember this. We need to pray to the Lord first before jumping and diving into something. James 1.5 States this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without a reproach and it will be given him. I don't think God wants us to do every single thing, every single opportunity. There is wisdom in seeking him first. That's why wisdom is talked about all through scripture. And I have been guilty of this where I will just do something and pray for the best. I just will yeah, just do it and hope that God will show up or, or supply it or whatever it is. And I think we need to slow down, pray fast, seek wisdom. And when we have a clear understanding and feel that God has called us to do something, then we can take that first step. Again, we see that Peter's approach wasn't just jumping off, diving off but asking, if it is you, call me out. And then we see the obedience. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, so Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt and when they got into the boat, the wind seized. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. My last point here, we will stumble on our own. Not all the time, but sometimes Jesus does answer our prayers. He does answer our requests. We see here, Peter says, If it's you, call me out so I can join you. And Jesus says, Come on. 
And how quickly though, once we actually get what we want and Jesus grants us those things, how quickly we start to get caught up in other things and we're like, oh, I'm good, Jesus. I'm good. I can do the rest. And that takes our focus away from him. I can't tell you how many times I finally have seen a prayer being uh, answered or, or God showing up and, 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 and supplying, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden it's, thank you, Lord. I'm good now. Thank you, Lord. I got it now. I can do the rest. We see here Peter's on the water. He's focused on Jesus. He's walking toward him. Peter's distracted, becomes distracted and becomes fearful of the wind and the water. And this is what's so, fo- uh, so interesting is because the wind and the water never went away. When Jesus says, Peter, come out, it's not like the wind and the water sees like that happens later. The wind and the water, the waves was still happening when Peter's in this moment. But when he focused, when he took his focus off of Jesus, that's when everything changed. Jesus was just present and Peter had a narrow focus on Christ until he took his focus off of him. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he, Peter, was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. I actually love how short Peter's prayer is, right? Lord, save me. Like, it's just like in a matter of a second, he prays this and Jesus hears it. Short prayer. But Jesus immediately grabbed his hand and took hold of him. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? What an amazing moment this is. Peter says, oh, Lord, save me. I've messed up. And Jesus bends down, reaches, and takes him. I don't know about you, but I have read this story, this, this, this text before, and so many times I've read this and I hear a, a frustrated uh, tone from Jesus in these words. I, I, I hear almost a disappointment tone. I, I hear, uh, sometimes I hear an angry tone. And sometimes maybe you're like me, you hear Jesus saying these words like this, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Oh. And just being irritated. I hear that sometimes. But for anyone as a parent, man, I think he had the voice of a parent. I think Jesus' tone was like, oh, you little faith. Why did you doubt? I think in this moment, Jesus shows compassion that a parent has for his children. Why did you doubt? I remember teaching Kinsey how to ride a bike. Um, this was years ago. And I remember standing there and, and when you're teaching a kid how to ride a bike, it's a fine balance because you want to encourage them and you want to like pump them up. And like, you can do it, you can do it. But you also you start to get frustrated because sometimes they're afraid and whatnot. And I remember Kinsey was there and I said, okay, all right, I'm right here. Now all you're going to do is you're going to pedal from there to me and then like then we're going to take a break. And uh, she started off so well. She was so cute in this helmet. And, and she started pedaling. And then all of a sudden, uh, she kind of tipped over. And she wanted my help. Now, I didn't go, you're a disgrace. Like, you can't ride a bike. Like, your last name is Kerner. Like, man, you have little faith. Like, you, you don't know what you're doing. Like, no dinner for you. That wasn't me. And that's not Jesus here. Instead, what I did was, oh, sweetie. 
Are you okay? What happened? Why did you stop pedaling? All right, come on, let's try again. I think it's so important for us to, to, to focus on Jesus in that setting as a, as a loving parent because that is what he is. The series, The Chosen, um, does an amazing job filming this, uh, this scene. Uh, and uh, I, I would highly recommend you uh, seeing it. It's obviously they take some liberties because not all the dialogue are in, in scripture, but they do an amazing job. And I think they really uh, give Jesus the tone that I think he would have had. Uh, it's a four minute scene. Uh, obviously I'm not showing it here because of the time, but I would go back and watch it. Jesus's love and compassion as a perfect father saves Peter here. And guess what? It's the same Jesus that we have. It's the same Father that we put our salvation in, and he saves us. So to close, distractions keep us from focusing on Jesus. That's our main point in this section. Distractions keep us away from focusing on Jesus. Big distractions and small distractions. Family, conflicts, work, finances, health, sickness, jobs, economy, politics, like you name it, there's a million and million and millions and millions of distractions. And those distractions can make us start to doubt and be fearful of the present and the future. Fear will make you sink, though. We see that in, in, in Peter. And we see in our lives, fear will make you sink and fear will cripple us. It will. Distractions took Peter's focus away with Jesus, from Jesus, and caused him to doubt. Caused him to doubt. The question, why did you doubt, comes from the distractions that Peter focused on. So question for us. Question for myself every day. Question for you. What distractions are taking your focus away from Jesus? What distractions are taking your focus away from Jesus? I love what John 15, 5 says. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For, uh, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We're promised that Jesus is stating here, that Jesus states, if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. For apart from him, when we're not focusing on him, when we're not, when we're not putting him in control, we can do nothing. And when we do that, like Peter, we will sink and we will end up doing nothing. So for your homework, I'm giving you homework. I know uh, I, I gave homework to students all the time as a teacher and as a youth pastor, but I think it's good for us adults to have homework as well. Your homework is this. Choose to accept it, but I hope you do. I want you to work on your schedule, your daily schedule, and I want, to I want you to prioritize prayer time. Prioritize some solitude time. If, it, if it's the thing that I do, just sit in the driveway for five minutes, amazing. Do that. Prioritize your prayer time and just stay focused on Jesus. And through that, I tell you what, man, I, I guarantee if you just give him 10 minutes, no other distractions, your trust in him will just, will just grow. It will just get to a whole nother level.
So that's my homework for you, and I hope you take it up. Take it up, and I'd love to hear stories uh, from, from anything that comes out of that. So uh, well, with that said, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then uh, we, are, we are done. But Father, we just thank you so much for your love. We thank you for this text, Lord. We thank you for uh, just this moment you had with Peter on the Sea of Galilee, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a God that shows up in your timing, and your timing is never wrong. And we thank you for that reminder, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, right now that we can just focus more on you, Lord. It's a simple thing to ask and say, but it's hard to do sometimes. And we just pray, Lord, that uh, we can recognize the importance of spending one-on-one time with you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that distractions, the big ones, the small ones, that they don't um, overtake our life, Lord, and that uh, we're able to uh, fix our eyes on you, Lord, and let you be in control of of all those distractions. Because we can't fix everything, Lord. We need you in our life, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for the fact that you're a loving parent that has compassion that loves us deeply, Lord. And we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.